0: Glad you are here. We are in, I think, week four of a series uh, that the title has changed every time I talk to Sharon. But I, I'll give you remind you of the premise and 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 just be patient as we develop it. It it came out of the aging phenomena that we saw. I, uh, I got interested in aging when I got old, yeah. and uh, I think I told you, my first trip, I knew there were a lot of people who were old, and I, I'm at Walgreens, and I'm buying Preparation Age, <laughs> Depends. And don't be looking down there. (laughs) And what else? I had something else. Preparation age depends. Something else. I'm checking out little girl about 20. She bags it and gives it to me, and says, "Have a nice day." And I said, "Does this look?" Like the components of a nice day to you. And, and so I i literally, I, I don't mind sharing this. I, I'm going to Fry's to buy my first box of Depends. And I thought, how am I going to do this? How am I going to find them? Where are they? And I know Fry's store pretty well. So I said, well, they'll be to the right. They're not going to be with like the Pampers. But I thought, I'll never find them. So I come around the corner, and there is a wall. If you have not had this experience yet, there are tons of these things. Then I couldn't figure out how much I had to absorb. I couldn't figure <laughs> out what size I was. I needed, a, I needed a shopper to help me. But I just saw, this is everybody. And there's a little bit, and I'm comfortable in here, there's a little bit of embarrassment, and it's awkward, but it's it's all around you. Just to remind you, today, 10,000 people turn 65. That's every day between now and the year 2030. That is just a ton of people. That's a ton of people who are counting on others to keep working to pay for that Medicare and that Social Security. And that can't happen. So I, I don't want to get in. I don't want to get into that. I started working on the aging, and, and here's what we saw really quickly. This is a, this is a giant point. I started talking with old people. So don't be offended by that. I mean, people like me and like many of you. And I realized that the majority had not prepared financially for retirement. I think I told you the last stat I saw said at age 55, 50% of people have saved, are you ready? Nothing for retirement. At 65, the average savings is around $10,000. So that'll get you a one-way Viking cruise somewhere. (laughs) Well, here's what I discovered, and I knew that going in. Here's what I discovered when I started dealing with Christians, is that became a material picture of how they were spiritually prepared for retirement. When I started hanging out with guys that were retired or getting close to their aging and it was just us they would say this is the toughest time of my life my my kids are screwed up they don't want to see me my friends are dying I don't have any money. Nothing works. My hands don't work. I'm at the doctor's office. I had a Sandy and I had a little experience this week. I'm adding a new doctor. So I'm I'm up to ten doctors right now. It just goes on and on. You gotta be pre- prepared for that when it when it happens. And and so what I discovered. And and I think it's pretty accurate. Is that we need some basic tools to finish strong. Because every Christian's learned the answer I just want to finish strong. What does that mean? I just want to finish strong. Hey, I have no clue. I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. What would you have to do to hear that? I don't know. I want to hear it. Well, you need a plan. But then I realized if it's not too late to start at 50 or 55. But it's not too early to start at 25. So I developed this series with the idea of reaching us, encouraging us, but giving you tools that you can pass on to your kids or your grandkids or the kids you're mentoring. And I hear all that going on. And what I love about this, in a world that seems all upside down to me, I have such a hard time following conversations. Nothing seems linear anymore. In that world, I developed a series that makes sense. It goes like A, B, C, D. In a world that goes A, Q, F, W. So it started with, the Bible is the Word of God. That I've got to have that as my baseline. Everything's going to build from that. That doesn't settle every issue, because I can still view that differently. Just like I can take the Constitution of the United States and give one copy to... Ruth Bader Ginsburg and another one to Judge Scalia and get two different views. But I handpicked those two people because they still traveled together, went to the opera together, had dinner together. We can differ, but at least we're differing over this document. That was week one. Week two is I need to keep learning. I never stop. It grows and grows and grows. We saw last week, and, and we confess, I don't know how they figure this stuff out, that knowledge doubles now about every two years. Just the, the quantity of it. And one scientist speculated that with the proliferation, development, accelerated development of the computer, get this, this is staggering. This can't be true. But, but they say knowledge will double every 12 hours. How can that be? I don't know. But I do know it's changing. And I need to change with it. It does no good to stand back. I heard somebody the other day, all these newfangled computers and these things, listen, you got to be an idiot to not be able to work a smartphone. All you got to do is punch some buttons. This is not hard. The basics, to search the Internet, text your grandkids, and, and to stand back and say, all this newfangled stuff, here's the answer. Hey, if you're young, teach me. I have my grandboys all the time. We're in fantasy football right now. We're 4-0. This can't last long. But we're in fantasy football right now. And I have the boys every week, today. Today at 2 o'clock, they'll be at the house. And they'll be going, Papa, we need to do this, we need to do this. I go, I don't know how to do that. And they'll show me these things. And it connects us. I don't remember what they said. I don't know what they said. But it values them and it deepens us. So, So, obviously, I want to learn the new stuff. But I want to go back to the Bible, which tells me that it's good for, remember, that it's fundamental. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So, the Bible tells me what's right, what's not right, how to get right, how to stay right. Third, this is today, this is new. Third, I need to make Godly decisions. So I got the book and I'm learning uh, when I reach 65. I, there's not a time, there's never a time when I'm done making decisions. You make decisions every day, uh, 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 and they vary in importance. Uh, in, in your life, like, okay. You, You don't need to write this down. Life is tough. And as John Wayne says, and it's tougher if you're stupid. (laughs) And stupid is making bad decisions over and over again. So I'm one day at Costco. And I'm walking and I see this guy walking and he makes eye contact. And it's clear that I should know this guy. But it's out of, I don't know who he is. So, uh, but I I couldn't wait to get home to make the notes. He, He sees me and he stops. He gets this boyish, like he's going to the principal's office, look on his face. And he said, I assume you heard what happened. I said, no, I didn't. He said this, I did something really stupid. I haven't been to your thing in a while, but I went every week for, I don't know what he said, five years. And I violated every principle you teach. And it's stupid. And I'm in real trouble. Now, I, I'm a sucker. I feel, I mean, I, I hurt for that. There's not any way I would make fun of that, mock that, look down on that. Every dumb thing there is to do, I've done. Everything. Uh, this week, this, this Saturday is my 50th high school reunion. So I got out my high school yearbook and discovered, I don't think I'm ever going to be on the Supreme Court. <laughs> <laughs> don't think I'm going to make. And I regret. I'm in, I'm a, I, I actually typed an email for this week about it. I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. But once God saved me, That pile of stupid decisions went from here to here. Not because I got smarter. God just gave me a heart that wanted to obey him. And if I want to know what's going to make life work, he's going to tell me. Now, I want you to grab this phrase and and grab it. We'll we'll touch on it the rest of the day. And, And it's going to be the basis for next week. Most people believe in God but don't believe God. Ninety, And the numbers are varying. They're actually getting lower. When I started, it was like 90%. Now it's like 91%, I don't know. But most people, 91% of people say, I believe in God. Now, if you start to define that, That number gets small fast. But most people will say, I believe in God. Well, If that's true, then I should believe what he says. It should start to play itself out in my life. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. God is saying, listen... I see stuff you don't see. I, 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 uh, I, 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 I'm sitting with my grandson the other day, and, and I, I so want to shape his life. It's so funny. I didn't have this feeling with my girls as much, which may be sexism, it may be age, but I so want to say to him, buddy, look it. I, I, I know you really want to hit. He, he Sunday, he threw his first no-hitter, and he's all excited, and his brother caught it, which is, uh, that's cool, and that's great, but he's not going to be pitching for the Dodgers. It ain't going to happen. It, and instead of heading lessons, you, you, you need computer lessons. You need you need to understand. I mean, if there's anything that's kind of good about the whole Kavanaugh thing, every parent in the world ought to be sitting down with their 17 year old boy and girl and say, "Look at, 38 years later, people are going to look at this stuff, and it's way worse now, because you got this stuff." I have no real written log. Of my depravity. (laughs) I've got memories. Some of them are kind of cool, but I I mean, but I got memories. And God says, "Listen, I don't want you to go. Don't do that, Tom. Don't do that. Not because I want you to not have fun. I want you to have life and have it abundantly." I want you to avoid the consequence of making these stupid decisions. We had a guy that years and years and years and years ago came to this study. And he tattooed a a spider web on his cheek. And I have a friend who is a, uh, a little more bold than I am. And the guy actually said to me, Do you notice anything different? Yeah. <laughs> I said, Yeah, I do. And my friend sat, sat next to me and he said, You should have tattooed on your forehead, I will work for minimum wage all my life. Now, that's not necessarily true, because he could be an artist, he could be. But, but those are huge decisions that have long term consequences. My, going into my freshman year of college, we had orientation day and I met with my academic advisor and she was, she was, I didn't know what I was doing. She told me to take some stuff and she said, do you have any questions? And I said, what grade point average do you need to graduate? And she said 2.0. And for the first time in my life, I had a goal. <laughs> now, first semester, I didn't reach it. I, I actually, I was freshman class president, and I, and, and, this, and this is, I think, funny, and I ran for reelection. It's hard to do. But I look back, and I wasted. Those four years. I have kids all the time. Kids don't want to go to college anymore. And I'm saying, look, at, you don't have to go to Harvard. You don't have to go to Stanford. Well, and they said, I know. I think about it. I'm going to go to MCC and take a class. And I said, don't do that. Go to MCC. Ask them how many hours you can take. Take the maximum amount of hours you can. Get your C's. And get out of there. If you take a class, you're going to take a class, then drop it. Ten years from now, you're going to be a sophomore. you got to have the degree. I used to tell my girls, I can get you a job at State Farm, but I can't get you an interview without a degree. You need to figure these things out. Turn, turn. You have Bibles, many of you. Turn to Psalm 119. Give you just a little advice. If somebody says, let's memorize a chapter of the Bible, (laughs) don't pick Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. And it's essentially about God's Word and the power of God's Word. And what happens when the Spirit of God applies the Word of God in our life? When we take it seriously? And I'm just going to do a a flyover, and you can make some notes. Verse 1, How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. So we'll see the Word of God, we would say Bible, referred to as the law, the word, ordinances, testimony, commands, decrees, statutes, precepts. You'll see it all the way through. Verse 5, Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Verse 15, I meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Verse 24, our testimonies also, your testimonies are also my delight. They're my counselors. There's my guidance. I need counselors and input and all that, but it needs to flow from this basics understanding of God's Word. Verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the ways of your statutes, and I shall obey it to the end. Verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies. Verse 38, establish your word to your servant. Verse 44, I will keep your law continually. Verse 47, I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. Verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. I'm in life, I'm in affliction, I'm in hardship, it's inevitable. My comfort comes from your word. Now that flips me Again, jumping off, we're not going to do it, just to keep kind of tease you for next week. That takes me into next week. I'm not just believing in God, I'm believing God. Verse 55, O oh Lord, I remember your name in the night. Verse 66, Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Verse 71, it's good for me that I was afflicted. How, how weird is this to say? It's good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. It's good for me that I suffered this hardship because I've learned your word is true. That's essentially what the book of Job says. Job goes, bad, batter, baddest, terrible, And then when it's all over at the end, in chapter 42, he says, before, God, I heard about you. Now I've seen you. Where did I see you? In your faithfulness to me. Remember what we talked about? Our hope is in the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, the character of God, the sovereignty of God. Verse 88, Revive me according to your loving kindness. Put life back into me. Verse 93, I will never forget your precepts. You get the sense here. It can go on and on. Verse 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. It shows me how to go, where to go, what to do. Verse 113, I hate those that are double-minded, but I love your law. How do I become double-minded? Well, I'm holding two competing value systems. You can't have a value system of the world and a value system of God without them colliding eventually. And always, this word has been hijacked, always God's word trumps the the word of the world. This is where I go. Verse 143. Trouble and anguish have come upon me. Your word, your commandment are my delights. Your testimonies are my righteousness forever. Give me understanding that I may live Verse 153, look upon my affliction and rescue me. Don't forget me. He's not going to. It's just the cry of his heart. Verse 160, the sum of your word is truth. It's total. God spoke into us. He he doesn't have... I get on my uh, phone, I have a Bible app, and every... Once in a while, I'd say every two months, I get a Bible update. And I'm always going, "Uh, uh, uh, what are they updating here? Because this thing is complete, done, closed. Everything God either wants you to know or thinks you should know is in here. And so now it's time to figure out a decision. It's time to take it and move it from word to reality. And it's not just, and, then, and this is, I, I think this has been my deal. I, I've just been doing so much reflection this week, which doesn't mean anything other than I'm thinking a lot. But, but I've been reflecting about the last 38, 39 years of following Christ. And what happened for me, and God was so good, is right away he gave me a mentor who saw that the word of God was not the end, but a means to the end. He he showed me that there's practical application. There's a wonderful man by the name of George Washington Carver. Uh, he was born to slaves In 1860, he was sickly, so he never had to work in the field. He worked around the house. He was a house slave. He did a lot of gardening. He he became infatuated with plants. He ended up attending Iowa State College of Agriculture, which is now Iowa State about the fifth best college in Iowa. I don't know about that. You know his story, many of you. He began to work, and I want to make sure I get the numbers right for you. His research developed 325 products from peanuts, 108 applications for sweet potatoes, 75 products derived from pecans. He, at one point... Uh, uh, Thomas Edison offered him a six-figure income? He said no. Booker T. Washington, who was the president of Tuskegee Institute, wrote him a letter and said this, I cannot offer you money, position, or fame. The first two you have, the last from the place you now occupy, you will no doubt achieve. These things I ask you to give up. Come to Tuskegee. At one point in 1921, um, in a much more congenial environment, he was invited to appear before a Senate subcommittee. I'll read you the dialogue. It's brief. The senator, a bit stunned by all of this, said, how did you learn all these things? Carver, from an old book. The senator, what book? Carver, the Bible. The senator, does the Bible tell about peanuts? This is so good. Carver, no, sir, but it tells me about the God who made the peanut, and I asked him to show me what to do with it, and he did. That's our life. So practical. I don't know how to make this call, I don't know what to do at this point. I can't guarantee you God's going to intervene. But I know God's speaking to you. When Sarah was eight years old, Sarah's my daughter. She's now 39. When she was eight years old, we were in the car one day. And I said to her, does God speak to you? And she said, yes. And I said, how? And she said, through his word, through the Holy Spirit and through other people. Now, just so you don't think there's something weird there, about a week later I said, does God speak to you? And she said, I don't know. <laughs> but in that moment, she nailed it cold. God speaks to you through His Word. For you to go sit out this, on, on a rock and contemplate the rainbow over downtown Phoenix, and say, "God, speak to me." He's speaking to you. He speaks through nature in a, in a, in a broad, generic way. Just, just the universe. The I saw some something. I can't. I have no file for this stuff. Where there's, they figured there's billions of miles of space beyond Pluto. Well, that that means. To me, Pluto's a dog at Disneyland. I got no clue. I got no idea what they're talking about. Here's what I know. As they study, the universe gets bigger and bigger. What that tells us is God is big. He created it. He holds it together. He speaks to you, but he speaks to you directly through this book right here. And nowadays you don't even have to buy one. I personally think you should. I think you should buy it and have a hard copy and you should bring it to church and this is not to offend anybody. Get rid of that electronic stuff and bring a hard copy. But that's me, and I'm old fashioned. But I'm right. (laughs) Well, John Wooden. Coach Wooden once said, all progress is change, but not all change is progress. And that's one of those little things that slipped away at church, I think. But I, 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 I don't want to get sidetracked. God's got this, but this is just the beginning. God also gives you the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us in Philippians six that He who began a good work in you will continue it till the day of Christ Jesus. We're studying right now in the Redemption Churches, the book of Ephesians. And it starts that first chapter with that phrase, in Him or in Christ. I'm in Him. And He sealed me. What's that mean? He has a hold of me. He'll never let go. There's nothing I can do. We say these things, I say them, so often that my fear is they become commonplace. But there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. So I'm not on probation. He's not waiting for me to perform, He's not checking my stats. And conversely, there's nothing I can do to make Him love me less. I'm His kid. And he's given me this spirit. And, and that spirit, there's an amazing scene in, in uh, John's Gospel. I think it's in chapter 16, where Jesus said, I'm going to leave you, and it's to your benefit that I leave. I, and I remember, every time I read that, I think, that blows me away. If, if Jesus were to walk through that door right now, We would cling to him, I think, or approach him, whatever's appropriate, and never let him go. We'd say, don't go. Don't leave. He says to the boys, his guys, I'm going to leave, and you're better off because i got something for you that you need more than me. You need the Holy Spirit who comes into your life, who convicts you of your sin. I have this theory, I don't know that I can prove it, but I have this theory that the holiest I should feel is at the moment of my conversion. Because from that moment on, God is gradually revealing my sin to me. There's a great old preacher. Some of you are old enough and around long enough to remember him. J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon McGee is this old Baptist pastor that ended up in Pasadena. And he tells a story about being in his office one Monday and getting a call from a lady in the church. And she was like 95 years old. And she said, I need to see you right away. And he said, well, it's Monday and... I'm typically not here. And she said, I need to see you right away. I have sinned grievously. Well, just curiosity alone made him want to meet with her. So she came in, and she sat down, and she said, I'm, I, I have sinned so bad. And he said, oh, well, what did you do? And she said, well, yesterday... When I left church, I told you your sermon was good. It wasn't. And that ate her. Think about that. Because you get that. I have a hundred people lie to me every time I teach. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Uh, I can't be here for a while. But, anyway. but she is so walked with God and so in tune with him that that kind of off the cuff comment that you've made a hundred times kept her up all night the closer i walk with him paul tells us in 1 corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 that natural man that means an unbeliever cannot understand spiritual things but now okay now I have the Holy Spirit so I can understand this Word. Am I going to get it all? No. But I now have the book. Cut me slack on the illustration. And I have the decoder in my mind so now I can make sense of it. So now it's taking time to make a decision. What do I do? I, I, I don't know what you do, but, but here's what I do. I get the facts. I pray. I check the scripture. I examine my life. I talk to my friends. And here's the hardest part: I do what I want to do. I take all that input, and I try. I pray for wisdom. And I so, what what job should I take? we got five minutes, and we maybe need more than that. But, but we get that question all the time. I want to know God's will for my life. What do you mean by that? Most people mean, I want to know where, what job should I take? What house should I buy? What car should I get? I'm thinking of moving. Who should I marry? Well, there's an underlying, and I think, false premise in that. And that is that, that God has a knowable individual will for your life. So you're out there. you gotta, You got, let's say you're a kid. You're graduating from high school. You've been, and you've got scholarships and admission to Stanford and ASU and. Let's get ASU out of there. Let's keep it at Stanford, Harvard, and Princeton. Where should I go? Okay. Well, for me, weather would drive that decision. But all of a sudden, I, we meet high school seniors every year, and they're all, I don't want to go, because they're afraid of making the wrong decision. Okay, here you go. There's no wrong decision. Stanford's good, Princeton's good, and whatever the third one was I said is good. They're all good. If you're so worried about finding, thinking that God's going to show you Stanford, you're going to wake up some morning and Condoleezza Rice is at your front door, knocking on your door. I don't even know that that's a sign from God. And here's what happens in that all the joy is gone. If you got an offer from Stanford and Princeton and whatever the other one was, what was the other one? Harvard. How did I forget that? You ought to be a happy guy, a happy gal. Those are great choices. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to pick Stanford, and the first time you have a problem, you're going to go, I knew it. God wanted me at Yale. And then you're going to go to Yale, second semester. Okay. And you're going to have a hard time. You're going to get a bad professor. And you're going to say, I know it. He won to Harvard. He doesn't care in a noble way. So I look and I value. So here's how you make a decision. This is a big one. I'm going to get married. Who should I marry? Well, what's the Scripture say? Well, the Scripture says... I have to marry a believer. So that's kind of an entry level position. If you're going to violate that one, expect trouble. And in the rules, guys, you got a lover. Wives, you have to come alongside, submit to him. So, guys, you better get somebody who's lovable. Not just pretty, not just a health nut. She's like, nice. And you got to follow this guy. So here's a tip. I used to tell the girls, if you go on a date and you're at a restaurant and it's time to order and the server says to your date, what what would you like? Uh, Can you come back? (laughs) And they come back five minutes later. I have a cheeseburger. What kind of cheese would you like? Uh, I don't know. Swiss? I don't like Swiss. Cheddar? Here, here you go. You don't want to marry this guy. If he can't figure out lunch, he can't figure out life. So you develop a grid. You develop the things that are important to you. You should have interests in common. And I find that a lot. Sandy and I have nothing in common. And and we knew that going in. But it would be nice if we had something in common. I used to joke, we'll be okay because we do have one thing in common. We both love me. (laughs) But I, I... Unfortunately, that was true... And that's not enough. So you've got to try to figure out who to marry. It's real simple. You, you develop the grid based on the Word of God. You let the candidates fall through. And then you take the one that's prettiest, most handsome, best job. That sounds so crass, but that's how you do it. When I want the will of God, here's what the Bible gives me: God's sovereign will, Acts two twenty two twenty three, which is a mystery. God's moral will. So God says in His Word, "Don't be drunk with wine." Okay, so He's tell, He's not He's not saying, "I don't think." Okay, don't drink. He's saying, "Don't get drunk with wine." And I think we could expand that to say, He, he pretty much. Doesn't want you smoking dope and dropping acid and doing all the other stuff. Don't steal. So if you got a job decision and and one of them is at Intel and the other is flying a Cessna 150 to Mexico to pick up drugs and bring it back, um, take the Cessna and then confess it as sin. No, uh, I mean go to Intel. It's not that bad. You see how that is? And, and, and the freedom, there's so much freedom available to you in the middle of that. That's how you make decisions. It's really that simple. And you make decisions. Think, think that through. If you need a book, which I, I doubt you would read, but there's a book, and it's really good, called Decision Making and the Will of God. It's by a guy by the name of Gary Friesen, and I think it's spelled F R E S S E N. It's thick. It's cumbersome. The first 200 pages or 150 pages are, you can blow through them. But he gets to the end and he nails this. God's given you great freedom, which should translate to great joy and great gratitude. Next week, I want to dig deep on this idea of most people believe in God, but don't believe God. When I begin to believe God, I don't just have joy. I have a boldness and a confidence that allows me to live life as all this stuff's coming at me. Okay, we'll look at it next week. Father, thank you for this truth. Put it in our hearts and our minds. Let us be men and women who love you and reflect who you are. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great week. I'll see you next week.